You're listening to Radio MD. She's a chiropractic physician, lecturer, author, entrepreneur, and talk show host. She's Dr. Suzanne Bennett. It's time now for Wellness for Life Radio. Here's Dr. Suzanne. As we discover more and more information about COVID-19, that is just that just doesn't hit the respiratory system. The medical community is starting to reconsider the severity of this virus, coronavirus number two. Now, today on Wellness for Life, we have a very special guest, Dr. William Lee. He's an internationally renowned physician, scientist, and author of the New York Times bestseller, Eat to Beat Disease, the new science of how your body can heal itself. His great groundbreaking work has led to the development of more than 30 new medical treatments and impacts care for more than 70 diseases, including cancer, diabetes, blindness, heart disease, and obesity. Welcome, Dr. Lee. So glad to have you here on Wellness for Life. Thank you, Dr. Bennett. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. You know, so much is still unknown about the SARS coronavirus, too. But we do know that this disease, the COVID-19 disease, affects our whole body and organs, not just the respiratory system. How important is it that we look at what we are consuming to improve our immunity and protect ourselves? Well, uh, you know, uh, the SARS-CoV-2 virus is a respiratory virus. And at the beginning of this pandemic, we thought it was, you know, not too different than other respiratory viruses that um, attack humans every now and then, everything from the common cold to something more serious. and uh, in, in fact, the things that we he- have heard about in the news, you know, people going to the hospital, being on the ventilators um, and having respiratory problems and the cytokine storms sounded an awful lot like this was only a lung problem. But then uh, I sort of jumped into the fray and began doing research. And we published our, re- our work in the New England Journal of Medicine um, a few months ago. And we actually found for the first time that the virus in the lung uh, makes a beeline for our circulation. And by invest, infecting our blood vessel cells, it can really cause blood clots and organ damage. And, you know, we see all this really uh, nasty side effects of this virus in the brain and in the heart and, and the toes, almost everywhere we've actually looked. And so this led me to actually uh, have a new understanding of how important it is to, to do a couple of things with our diet. Number one, we need to actually shore up our immune system so the front gate of defense is as strong as possible to resist the virus from coming in. And there are foods that we can eat that can boost that front gate immunity. That's like putting on a really good lock, solid lock on your front door so that you know nobody can actually break into your house. And um, uh, foods like mushrooms can actually uh, elevate the inter- uh, immunoglobulins like IgA, the antibodies, um, in your mucus to actually, that can actually help tackle the virus. Um, there are, um, uh, uh, then we need to be able to neutralize the virus if it's in our bodies, um, not just in our lungs, but actually c- circulating around. Um, and that's where we need to actually boost our T cells with immunity. And there are foods like broccoli and broccoli sprouts um, that can also uh, help with, uh, with that. And so we're starting to uh, mix and match the problem of the virus with a dietary solution, uh, even as uh, researchers are trying to develop a vaccine, uh, food is the tool in the toolbox that everyone can do by themselves at home. 
Dr. Lee, I love what you said. You said that the gateway, right, to the virus to improve our immunity and possibly stop the virus in its tracks. I, I don't know if you know this, but I wrote the book, The Kimchi Diet, last year. And it was mm-hmm. published last year. And in that book, um, I didn't talk about the SARS, uh, SARS, this number two, but I did talk about the original SARS that hit Asia uh, back in 2002, 2003, around then. But what just came out, I don't know if you've seen this um, uh, study and about that they're saying that kimchi and fermented foods actually can stop that ACE2 receptor in opening up and increasing the numbers, or I should say expression of that ACE2 receptor so that the virus tags in there and, and then uh, and goes in, into the uh, tissues. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? If, if, if that's something that you know about? Yeah, well, so here's basically what everybody needs to understand is that the virus just doesn't, you know, um, you know, knock on the door of our, the cells in our body and enter. It actually looks for a secret, a trap door to kind of get into our cells. And that secret trap door is uh, something called um, uh, ACE2. It's what we call a receptor. So think about it as a catcher's mitt that's sitting on top of our body's cells. And when um, this virus, the coronavirus, actually sees that catcher's mitt, it makes, it makes, it basically makes a, it's like a homing missile goes right to there. And that catcher's mitt takes it into the trap door and it could get into our cells. And so what's really interesting is anything uh, whether it's kimchi or um, or any other kind of treatment that can interfere with the ACE2 um, receptor, that Ketcher-Smith, um, uh, is another uh, uh, opportunity to intercept that virus. Now, here's the other thing about kimchi um, that I- I'm sure uh, uh, your readers um, know very a lot about already because of all the work that you've done, is that uh, kimchi has long been known as a fermented food to actually help health. In fact, there's actually even a healthy gut bacteria in the fermented food kimchi that is um, able to fight um, uh, influenza. So there's like a kimchi influenza fighting bacteria that's a healthy bacteria in, in, in kimchi. And, and now we're also beginning to realize that uh, the bacteria in kimchi uh, can feed our healthy gut bacteria, our microbiome. So not only is it good for good gut health, we know, but we know that our gut bacteria, when they are happy, they actually talk to our immune system. So our gut bacteria talks to our immune system and makes our immune system work better. And so now more than ever, it's important to appreciate the benefits of eating fermented foods like kimchi. Thank you. Gosh, I'm so glad that you shared all that. It's wonderful because I do know uh, just from the research I've done, and, and there's a huge amount of science in Korea. In Korea, the, the government there has an organization called the World Institute of Kimchi. And there are all these scientists, about 50, 60 scientists, that only do scientific studies, um, all forms, whether it's for humans, but also for animal studies to see the, the benefits of kimchi. And as an antimicrobial agent, it's amazing for blood sugar control, cholesterol, uh, for triglyceride management, uh, changing your microbiome from a, a obese person's microbiome into a skinny person's microbiome. I mean, it goes on and on. So I'm so glad you shared that. Thanks so, thank you so much um, talking about that. So what I'd like to see is, that, is this, you know, I w- I'd like to ask this question is that, Dr. Lee, I have patients that have COVID, but 
they don't have respiratory system symptoms. They actually have more in the gut. They have gut dis, uh, symptoms, nausea, diarrhea, um, bloating, inflammation, pain, and cramping, fatigue. Um, can you share a little bit about that? Why is it that some people end up having it more gut symptoms rather than the respiratory? What, right. Well, you know, we're still learning on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, more information about this really diabolical virus. I mean, you know, it, I, I, we wish it were, you know, as medical people, we wish it were just kind of like your simple run-of-the-mill virus, and it comes and it goes and we recover. But this thing actually is pretty tricky. And the ACE2 receptors that you talked about earlier, that we talked about earlier, are also present in the gut. So not only do these catcher's myths, receptors, um, that take the virus through the trap door into our cells live in the lung, are these receptors in the lung, but they're also in our gut. And so we think that some people wind up um, um, experiencing completely different severe symptoms in the gut because the virus has chosen after they breathe it in, you know, maybe not to overwhelm the lungs. Like it might be some in the background of the lungs, but what instead, you know, uh, the secretions, which we swallow, right? So you have a runny nose, you're swallowing some of the stuff, goes into your gut, and the virus there actually makes a beeline for the catchersmith, that ACE2 receptor, um, inside our digestive system. Now, you wind up having an infected digestive system, and, you know, that's a, that's a long network uh, of, of, of an organ. And so how do we actually think about that is, uh, number one, there's inflammation in the gut. And we know we do know something important about the inflammation in the gut is that it's important to actually eat anti-inflammatory foods. What are some anti-inflammatory foods? Well, fermented foods that feed our gut microbiome, uh, particularly, um, uh, uh, you know, can actually help by, by right-sizing our gut bacteria. Also, prebiotics, these insoluble fibers that we can't absorb as humans, but our gut bacteria loves to eat them. And they, they kind of munch them up, uh, these fibers, the prebiotics, into little fragments that are anti-inflammatory. And so I think that, you know, anybody who's got COVID and uh, gastrointestinal symptoms really needs to think and work with um, uh, healthcare providers that can help them think about how to right-size their gut with um, good, healthy bacteria and also how to actually use prebiotics um, to, to our advantage to lower inflammation. And there's a lot of other foods that also um, that have anti-inflammatory uh, capabilities as well. Great. Um, can you share a little bit more about that? Uh, I want to ask a question regarding the nasal testing and stool testing before, but before, can you just tell us about some of those uh, inflammatory, anti-inflammatory foods that can help us also in the gut? Yeah, so here's, here's basically what I tell people. Number one, if you've got inflammation of the gut, there's two ways of really approaching it that you should take do at the same time. Number one is lower your intake of inflammatory foods, pro-inflammatory, the ones that actually stimulate inflammation. So what are those things? It turns out that um, uh, they're the same things that damage your gut microbiome. They hurt your healthy gut bacteria. So um, sodas, sugar-sweetened beverages like sodas, with a lot of natural cane sugar, or even worse, um, sodas with artificial sweeteners really do a number, really damage our gut bacteria. So you want to stay away from that. You also want to stay away from um, processed meats. Um, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people just, you know, they grew up on, you know, uh, deli and, and uh, 
you know, ham and all that kind of stuff. Really be careful about that because we do know processed meats, in addition to becoming being an a carcinogen, actually really are disruptive, change our gut microbiome. And then finally, ultra processed foods. You know, the things that the, the foods usually in a box that when you look at the ingredients, you can't pronounce half the stuff. That's usually an ultra processed food. Your gut bacteria really doesn't like that. Even if our taste buds might like these things, our gut bacteria really doesn't. And they really have a problem with it. And so stay away from the pro-inflammatory, the inflammation-stimulating foods. But then you can actually start to eat things that actually lower inflammation. And some of the big studies of inflammation-lowering foods include um, vitamin C-containing foods, so citrus, guava, strawberries. Um, uh, uh, there's been studies done in Japan in patients who have a really bad inflammatory disease called lupus. And they found that those patients who, people who ate a lot uh, of foods containing vitamin C had really lowered levels of, of flares of lupus, lowered inflammation. Uh, green tea, also the catechin, the natural chemical called catechin, EGCG, sometimes people would hear, have heard about it in green tea, actually is also a powerful uh, anti-inflammatory. Um, even olives, actually, um, they have a, a substance called hydroxytyrosol. Um, that's a natural anti-inflammatory thing that's present in olives and really, really good quality uh, extra virgin olive oil also has an inflammatory effect. So, you know, just to kind of sum up, if you've got gut inflammation, st number one, stay away from inflammation generating foods, sodas, processed meats, ultra processed foods, and then start adding inflammation lowering or anti-inflammatory foods, vitamin C containing foods, green tea um, are, are um, uh, good starts. Uh, to achieve that. That's great. Great list of what to do and what not to do. Um, the question that I wanted to ask before I go move on to the next uh, part is that I wanted to know, you know, if you've got gut disorders, I'm talking about COVID and you have gut symptoms, uh, doing a nasal test for that might not really be the best test. Um, I actually read in another article that stool testing, it may show up but not in the nasal. Have you, do you do stool testing at all for COVID? Yeah, you know, I actually set up a, a, a testing unit uh, because I wanted to dive in. And, and, you know, frankly, every country in the world that's managed to get a handle on COVID and tamp it down to reasonable levels um, has used testing to their advantage. So I think, you know, in our country, in the United States, we still have a ways to go. But Here's the thing about testing. There's a lot of confusion out about it. Um, in the very beginning, people were sticking Q-tips way up the nose, like like tickling your brainstem almost, um, to try to get the um, nasal pharyngeal way back at the end of the uh, uh, the inside of your nose to get a swab to see if they can actually find the virus. And that and you would use um, that swab. You, you test that swab using a genetic technique called PCR fancy, uh, that's a simple uh, abbreviation for polymerase chain reaction that really detects the virus, whether the virus is present. Pretty good. It's kind of a gold standard, actually. Um, but what we realize is that uh, it's very uncomfortable. Um, and this is the test that, you know, we were running out of the sticks and the swabs and the reagents and all this crazy stuff. But the reality is that um, we've now discovered that you can actually use saliva or sputum. So you can actually measure the virus, not just through a nasal swab, which is not that convenient and pretty uncomfortable. Most people who have had that once never want to have it again. 
but sputum and saliva can also do it. Um, uh, and that's different than a stool test. Now, um, look, we do, to our, we do test our stool, for example, for blood to screen for colon cancer. Um, there's something called Cologuard that actually does that. Uh, most people don't like to actually you know, stick around or mess around with their stool. Um, but we've actually discovered that if you test stool, you can sometimes find the virus particles there as well. And what we don't know, and, and, this, and you can find it sometimes in the stool when you can't find it in the nose anymore or even the saliva. And so that seems confusing, but it's actually not that confusing. Um, what, we, what, we, what we think about is that, I mean, think about this virus on a conveyor belt. It, you know, you breathe it in and it kind of gets in the conveyor belt of your body and your nose takes it in. Your, um, your mucus takes it into your nose. It gets loaded into your lungs, into your cells. It goes to your blood vessels. It starts spreading everywhere. And then your immune system, you know, um, has the fight of its life, literally. And so basically starts pounding away you know, hand-to-hand -hand combat, uh, your body versus the virus, and in people that recover from it, uh, and, and many people do, in fact, most people recover from COVID, um, they, they manage to vanquish the virus. So think about, you know, like the army that's beating the bad guys, the good guys is beating the bad guys, um, uh, but, not, but not necessarily killing all the bad guys. There's still, you know, kind of a few lazing around. What we think is that uh, the, the last place the virus goes after you clear it out is it gets, it goes out through the poop chute. And so basically when we actually, when we're not feeling symptoms and you can't find the nose anymore and the war is pretty much over, you can still sometimes find virus particles that are actually being shed or excreted as sort of the last place you get rid of the virus. That, that, by that point, the virus that you detect might not be infectious anymore. It might be just dead. And, and again, this is, we're still putting the picture together, but that's kind of what we're thinking about how it works right now. That totally makes sense. Um, some of my corona patients, COVID patients, have a lot of nausea, and um, they're 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 not ill anymore. They had respiratory symptoms, but you know it makes sense because the liver liver does have to uh, shuttle out and clean up those dead viral parts, and so it makes sense that the liver might be more stressed. And and of course, when the liver dumps into the, for, through the bile into the gut. Um, that's probably where that, that, you know, stool, those particles are in the stool. I would like to ask you about what your, I know we've just got a few more minutes here. What is your daily routine so that you boost your immunity and make a huge, um, you know, obviously for you, you're a doctor, you're around a lot of patients, and we've got to be careful so that we don't get sick uh, from our, our patients as well. So what do you do for yourself, Dr. Lee? Right. Well, uh, I'll tell you, it starts with um, the night before I get up. I actually try to make sure I get a good night's sleep. Um, and it turns out that sleep actually really, really helps build our immunity. So I want my front gate to be really strong. Um, and what's the best way to get sleep is really not to drink caffeine at night, not to be in front of a screen, uh, you know, in bed, you know, until you fall asleep and the, and the phone drops under your chest. Um, also, temperature matters. It turns out that the best temperature for us to, for our bodies to fall asleep and get that good immune building sleep is at 65 degrees Fahrenheit. Pretty cool. Okay. Um, uh, but that's really important, um, especially as we think of going into the fall. You know, the weather cools, people want to turn up the heat, you know, you want, um, but, but the room temperature should actually be pretty chill. So I do that every day 
um, just so overnight my immune system is getting charged up. Uh, think about it like charging your, your cell phone. You know, you want to make sure you're, you're in full charge when you wake up in the morning. Secondly, when I get up, I, I do um, have fruits that contain vitamin C. Uh, as I mentioned, too, it's anti-inflammatory immune building. Like it builds a good part of the immune system, but also takes down inflammation. And I drink uh, a tea. I, I love green tea. I've been drinking green tea for 20 years. Um, and I'll, I, you know, I... There's so many different kinds of green tea. I mean, oolong tea is a green tea. Regular green tea is a green tea. Matcha green tea. Uh, jasmine tea is a kind of green tea. You know, these days you just go on the internet and look up, you know, different types of green tea and, and you'll get served up all the information about the varieties you can have. Uh, it's the summertime. So, so I'll uh, sometimes uh, brew some tea at night and just stick it in the fridge so that when I get up in the morning, I'm actually um, having uh, iced tea or cool tea or I can sip the tea all day long. So um, that's something that I do is I, I sip tea throughout the day. I, I just really enjoy it. Lowers um, blood pressure, uh, helps to improve um, metabolism, uh, lowers lipids, you know, um, and it boosts your immunity. All really good stuff. So I have um, fruits and vegetables. You know, I I, um, uh, I tend to eat a very very light lunch, um, and in general, I try to go for a plant based lunch. Uh, and it turns out that, and occasionally I'll skip a lunch. It turns out that if you, um, skip lunch or breakfast a few times a week, um, you're actually effectively doing caloric restriction or intermittent fasting. So, you know, back in the day when everybody's running around like crazy, you know, before the lockdown, uh, we were all slamming going to work and too busy. Like we would actually be doing our bodies a favor sometimes by skipping breakfast and lunch. And I know that that's not what our moms and our teachers and what the TV commercials um, were telling us, like you have to eat breakfast every day, you have to eat lunch every day. But it turns out that if you have a little bit of caloric restriction, you eat a little bit less, you skip uh, breakfast or lunch a couple of times, uh, two to three times a week, um, that actually reboots our immunity inside our gut, like our stem cells in our gut for our immune system uh, wake up and they say, oh, okay, I guess you want me to, you want some more immune cells. So we're gonna pump some out. And so I, you know, I, I actually consciously sometimes will skip a lunch or a breakfast and I give, I don't give a second thought to it. I don't feel guilty. I don't feel like I got to eat something. In fact, I, I realize, you know, I can power my way through lunch if I skip a breakfast or I can power my way to dinner if I, if I miss a lunch. And I know that I'm doing something uh, good for myself. Um, I try to exercise regularly. Now it's a little bit harder during, you know, the lockdown, but I am actually, um, what should I tell all your listeners? Go for there's here's one thing that you that anybody can do. Go for a walk uh, uh, for for 30 minutes a day like that. You can you you got to be able to do that no matter where you live. If you if you go outside um, and you're not in the treadmill, that's totally fine. If you're going to be encountering people, wear a mask when you're outside, socially distance. When you come back in, wash your hands. These are all really good general practices to stay safe. That's what I do um, every single day. And uh, you know and and I. Uh, um, and I try to lower my stress, you know, do something that you really enjoy every day. So lowering stress, eating well, getting adequate sleep. Um, those are the cornerstones uh, to good immunity that I practice myself. Great. Love it. Love it. You are doing your thing. So, um, you know, what is your take on keto diet? I want to go into more about diet now. Um, and, you know, you've written this amazing book, Eat to Beat Disease. Um, and the keto diet's the big thing. And now there's a carniv carnivorous diet, carnivore diet. I'd like your, your take on that, Dr. Lee. 
Right. Well, um, look, uh, uh, ketogenesis is something that every doctor learned in medical school that happens when your body is deprived of certain nutrients and are flooded with other nutrients. And it's kind of a chemical reaction um, uh, that our body has to use energy in a different way. And in many ways, uh, a ketogenic diet is uh, tests our body's, um, uh, our cells' uh, ability to adapt. Now, it turns out that human, healthy human cells are great at adapting. And if you actually uh, do keto, you, you actually are challenging your cells uh, to kind of like, um, you know, think about a couch potato that you suddenly rouse out of the couch. You tell them to do a jig, you know, or, or to start dancing or to do jumping jacks. And that's basically what keto is. It startles our cells, you know, with the lack of nutrients into actually acting up and, and doing, showing what it can actually do. That probably was really, really useful back when humans were in early in evolution where we couldn't always get food. Uh, today, I will tell you that before keto became popular, uh, it um, was actually being used uh, for really um, uh, quite, a, quite effectively uh, in, in some cases to treat epilepsy that wasn't responding to medicines for some reason, resetting, rebooting the metabolism in your body using a ketogenic diet actually could help lower and in some cases stop um, uh, children with epilepsy from having the convulsions or seizures. And then the other place that ketogenesis has really been dramatically um, useful is in glioblastoma. It's a terrible brain tumor that grows, it rips through your brain. I mean, this is like a uniformly lethal cancer. And it turns out, you know, like chemo and, and different drugs, you know, they're moderately successful. Surgery, you know, obviously is good, but it comes right back. Turns out that a ketogenic diet actually totally slows down the growth of a brain tumor. Uh, and so this is an area of active research right now. I convened a conference in Paris a few years ago where we brought some of the keto experts around the world that were treating brain tumor patients, and they were reporting um, their success. And I actually met some of the patients that were uh, on, on the keto diet. It was really remarkable. Now, let's just talk about like broad, you know, keto for health. Listen, I think that's a lifestyle choice more than anything else. Um, uh, you know, it's not really healthy to keep generating ketones in your body. That's not a good thing. So, but if you're actually going to do it sort of from a lifestyle decision perspective for a short period of time, because you have a particular health goal or health philosophy, that's probably fine. But this is, but keto is not something you really want to do for a long period of time. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that, Dr. Lee. I'm, I find a great deal of people in the beginning, it might be really good for, um, for weight loss and um, for energy, helping you with energy. But for long term, I find that it's really disruptive in the microbiome, the growth of the microbiome, because the bacteria in, in our gut really needs fiber, actual cellulose that comes from plant-based foods. So, um, but it's great to hear that there are other conditions, specific clinical conditions that keto genic diet can um, really support. You know, we're running out of time. Geez, I can talk to you forever, your doctor. Will, can you please tell us your website and um, where can we find more about you and your book, Eat to Beat Disease? Well, you, anybody who wants to find out more about um, COVID and food, and as well as just how to actually become more healthy by activating our body's own hardwired health defense systems using foods that you like. I write about more than 200 foods 
uh, most of which people will already like in my book, Eat to Beat Disease. You can follow me on on uh, through my website at drdrwilliamlee.com, drdrwilliamlee.com, or you can actually find me uh, on social um, at Dr. William Lee, Dr. William Lee, L-I, um, uh, or you can actually just, uh, you know, get my book. Uh, it, it's Eat to Beat Disease. Uh, I wrote it before the pandemic, but I can tell you it's more important now than ever before. You can get it anywhere uh, books are sold, including on Amazon. And, um, uh, and fi- you know, find me on social, check out my website, get my book. Um, there's a lot going on. Um, I'm actually planning a course to actually um, teach people about the, the, the whole process of how to actually fortify your defenses. Uh, we need this ever more than ever before, whether you're a kid going back to school, whether you're a parent um, uh, trying to stay healthy for your family, whether you're um, an older person, you know, just trying to make sure that we can weather the storm that you're dealing with. Everyone should be eating to beat disease. Love it. What a great ending. Eat to Beat Disease with Dr. William Lee. Remember, when you go to the website, it's L-I, not L-E-E. Thanks again, Dr. Lee. You are awesome. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Great information. Thank you for listening to this show. Now, I know you've learned a great deal of valuable information, as I have. And please do share the show with your loved ones. It can change their life for the better. And please subscribe if you haven't already so you can continue to do our very best here on Wellness for Life. If you need help in digging deeper with your health issues, I work with people globally through phone and Skype consultations. And my contact info is available on my website at drsuzanne.com. Until next time, go out there and live your best life today for of energy, enthusiasm, and ultimate health and wellness. This is Dr. Suzanne sharing natural strategies on the Wellness for Life show right here on Radio MD. Stay well.